Today we are in Revelation chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, some of it will be on the screen. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good stories, the God stories that we're hearing, the testimonies, the um, challenges that people are facing that you're in. I pray today that you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, feet that want to run with obedience. Father, may our minds comprehend. I pray that you would wake us up and stir us up a little bit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Just an observation. My observations are not always right. Um, contrary to my belief, right? I always think my observations are right. That's why I'm observing it. But uh, you learn in marriage and you learn in life that your observations are not always right. But my observation this morning, based upon the temperature in the room, is we're a little sleepy. Just a little like going through the motions. No judgment, just observation. It just feels like we're getting through. Now, that doesn't mean every person. I feel like collectively we're just, we're just getting through. We're just getting through. We're just getting through, through. Where I hope that during this next section of church, we don't just get through but that we would be engaged. Because um, God has done everything that we need for us to make it to heaven, amen? But we still have to respond to him to receive what he has done, right? Just because he died doesn't mean that everyone on earth gets to go to heaven. We still have to respond to what he has done. Likewise, this morning, God wants to do a lot of things for you and I, but for us to receive the reward or the benefit of what he wants to do, we must respond to that as well. So in his word today, as, he, as, as his word is presented, we still have to respond to it. We still have to have attentive attitudes. We still have to be paying attention. We have to have hearts that want to receive and I just think that God wants to bring blessings to all of us, and he wants to have a relationship with all of us, and he knocks on our doors daily. But sometimes what ends up happening is we're so distracted by life or things that we miss his call, or we don't have time to answer the call that he wants to spend time with us. Right? Like, if we wake up tomorrow morning, God's going to want to spend time with us. He's going to want to talk to us and encourage us and speak to us and give us direction for the day. But if all we are is worried about Tom or Sarah at work who's really annoying, then we're tuning him out. Or if all we're worried about is the project that we have at home or the, how good the meatloaf's going to be when we get home, we're missing it. So God's, God wants to minister to us this morning through this word. Amen. See, y'all are sleepy, the sleepy church. God wants to minister to us through his word today. Amen? Yeah. All right, so, so keep that kind of attitude this morning. So as we get started today, if some of you have not been here, 
we are going through the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is the unveiling of Jesus, revealing who Jesus truly is in the unveiled form. Now, if we don't know much about the book of Revelation, we end up thinking that the book of Revelation is this mysterious end-of-time book that is a book full of revelations and imagery. But it's not. The book of Revelation is about one revelation, and the revelation is Jesus. Amen? The book is a picture of Jesus redeeming that which was lost. When you and I sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, we forfeited our ability to walk with Christ in intimacy. We forfeited our ability to walk with God in a relationship. Because when we sin, it creates a gap. God is holy, we are not. We also forfeited the rule in the reign of the earth that God gave us in the beginning. God wanted us to oversee the earth and its animals and the seas and the gardens. He wanted us to walk with him and be intimate with him as life was procreated and everyone gets to have a close relationship with him. But we forfeited all of that. So we understand that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave for our sins, right? Yet the earth was given when we sinned to the prince of the air. And the prince of the air is who? Satan. So in the garden when we sinned, we forfeited that right. Therefore, since we've, since we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, now what we see in the book of Revelation is the earth being redeemed by Jesus now. We talked about that in what? Revelation uh, 4 and 5. So therefore, the earth is going to be redeemed to its rightful owner. This happens at the end of time. And as we're progressing towards the end of time, we're beginning to see some of those events take place. There will be famines and earthquakes, wars in various places, people. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, wicked, conceited, arrogant. We see all these things taking place as we get nearer and nearer. So the book of Revelation is at the end of time. The author John of the book of Revelation explains these end time events through imagery that God shows him. Now, we, some of the imagery is vials and trumpets and bowls and seals, etc. right? So that's what we're trying to understand. What are these vials? What are these bowls? What are these trumpets and seals? And at the end of the book of Revelation, at the end of these events, there will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. All of God's people will be with him for the rest of eternity where there will be no more weeping and there will be no more tears and we will physically be in our prime for the rest of eternity. Amen? So last week, we talked about the sixth seal and the 100 
and 44,000. Now, I recognize that I talked about the 144,000 initially as if all of us had prior knowledge. Now, some of you might have had prior knowledge. Some of you might not have. So if you were a little lost, forgive me, and just go home and do a little bit of research on the 144,000. Now, here's the important thing is, as I research and I study and I pray, not everything that I read online is true, right? So usually what I don't do is I don't read the LDS idea of whatever I'm studying. And you're like, what's the LDS? The Latter-day Saints. The Mormons, right? I usually don't get on there because they pay a lot of money for their ideas to be the first Google search. So I usually don't read those, right? I don't need to sift those out. Um, unless I'm going to apologetically be debating someone. Nevertheless, do some research. There's something about, uh, <laughs> here's what's funny, is some people, <clears throat> some people will come up to me and say, hey, I didn't see what you saw in the scripture when you presented it. And I say, well, you didn't see it because you didn't study it. Not because I'm a theologian, not because <clears throat> I have any wisdom far beyond what I should. You simply don't understand what I understand because you didn't spend time studying it. So I encourage you that if you want to have greater knowledge, just go home and studying it. Go home and study it. Now, studying it doesn't mean that you simply just read it 10 times over to try to understand it. Right? Just reading something 10 times over doesn't help you. I, that's not what I do. I don't go home. When I prepare for the sermon each week or whenever I'm preaching, I don't just go home and just read the Bible and say, ooh, Apparently, Revelation 7, verse 6 means blah, 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 blah. And then I saw that all in the Scripture. Sometimes you see things in Scripture. But most things that go beyond the Scripture mean that you study the context. You study the original language. You study what uh, other theologians and people in the, original, uh, in the original time frame thought that it meant. And then you pray about it, and then you put a conclusion together. So my encouragement to you guys is go study the Bible, right? Amen? And then you don't have to um, try to think that I know something that you guys can't. That's not the case. Either way, um, we addressed the 144,000. And the little bit of, re uh, yeah, so the 144,000, and as we address them, the 144,000 may be God's people or it could be Jews. That's where we landed last week. 144,000, and some of you are like, I still don't know what you're talking about. Go back and listen last week, right? The 144,000 that are sealed by God could be pointing to, in the book of Revelation, all of God's people, or it could be pointing to the Jews. It's not a subject that we're going to die on. It's not a hill that we're going to plant here at MCF that we stand on. So um, when we go to heaven, God will not ask us our interpretation of the 144,000 and whether we answer it right, he'll let us in or not. Amen? Okay. So now we get to the seventh seal in the book of Revelation. Chapter 8, verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. 
So when Jesus peeled back the seventh seal, and if you haven't been here, go back and listen to the past messages because it's really interesting. Jesus pulls back the seventh seal, and there was silence. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? It could mean multiple things. But surely we have to remember that heaven is not silent, right? Do we remember that? We should through the book of Revelation so far. Heaven is not a silent place. So for all of heaven to be silent, that's interesting. We see in Revelation 4, verse 5, and then 7 through 11. From the throne came flashes of lightning. So this is in heaven. Rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. Verse 7. The first, the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had wings and was covered with eyes all around. Even under its wings, day and night, they never stopped saying. So here's how we're learning what heaven is like. Rumblings, peals, thunder. And then now day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne, and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for created things, or sorry, for you created all things. And for by your will, they were created and have their being. So in heaven, there's a lot going on. Thunder and lightning, right? Worship, just all who are in heaven are holy, holy, holy. And worthy, worthy, worthy. And then in Revelation chapter 5, then I looked and heard a voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. So millions upon millions of people. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice, they were saying, in a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Would you guys agree with me that heaven is a loud place? So if we don't like loud music right now, we got a problem. Heaven appears to be loud. And not only is it loud, it seems to be that there's never a break. Day and night, they're singing and worshiping, holy, 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 and worthy, worthy, worthy. This is going on. So, 
Imagine this place that constantly has worship and praise going on by millions of people now just being silent. It would be weird, wouldn't it? It would just be weird that all this is happening and then in a moment, silence. So we have to ask the question, why is there silence in heaven? There is much speculation on why there is silence in heaven. Some have suggested that this is the second coming of Jesus or the rapture. And heaven is in all of the, the bride, which is um, you and I, the bride of Christ, in him coming together. And they're in all of this marriage that is taking place. So some have suggested that this is the rapture of the church and all of heaven is quiet because they can't believe what is taking place. Others suggest that it could be because Jesus is listening to the prayers of his people in verses 3 and 4. It could also uh, be heaven listening to the voices of the martyrs, those who've been killed for their faith. Here's what I will definitely say. The silence in heaven creates anticipation for what is next. That's what it does. Yet is this silence only 30 minutes or is the silence symbolic? I think it's symbolic. But imagine even if it was 30 minutes long, that would be a long time, wouldn't it? Silence for 30 minutes? Silence often leads us to anticipation. What's unique is um, our dogs have picked up on our cues, and they've picked up on some things, and even our dog Calvin knows how to shake his head no. It's funny. You want this? No. Where do you learn that from? You want to know where he learns it from? He learns it from me because his mama can't ever tell him no. <laughs> That's where he learns it. I know where you learned that. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, both, we both play the, the roles, right? So, you know, Calvin will shake his head no, but then he starts to learn other things. So you go, to the, you go to the window because you heard a weird noise at 2 in the morning and you go out to peek out to make sure whoever's coming in to try to hurt you doesn't see you. So you peek out the blinds, right? And then you hold your breath and you listen. So then the dogs perk up their ears and they hold their breath and they listen. You're like, where'd you learn that from? They anticipate. Or you say, shh. And then our dogs at least sometimes they'll stop and they'll hold their breath and they'll perk up their ears and they'll be silent. And what we recognize is when our dogs are silent and they begin to listen, they're anticipating something else is coming. You listen because you're anticipating. So what's happening in heaven right now is there was worshiping going on day and night by thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousand. And then in a moment, there's silence. (laughs) 
They're like, did you forget your words? Silence. Silence. Silence is weird for us, isn't it? Silence is a weird thing. Now imagine if I asked you, if we practiced silence for a half an hour in here, how many of you guys would fall asleep? Now imagine if we had to practice silence without falling asleep. See, sometimes silence, you know, we hear care flight, what appears. If we weren't silent, we wouldn't hear that. So God, we pray for care flight. We pray for whatever's going on. Amen? You guys all agree. Silence changes something. And that's what's happening in heaven right now. What a weird scene. And you know what? Sometimes for us, we need to be silent too. Sometimes when we want to see the nature of God and hear the nature of God, we just need to get rid of everything. We need to throw our phones away. We don't need to set the tune with worship music. We don't need to talk to anyone. Sometimes to be in the presence of God, we just need to be silent. Amen? Practice being silent tomorrow. Practice being silent tonight. Set aside an extended period of time. <laughs> I practice being silent before bed and listening to God, right? And you know what that means? Is That means I'm just going to sleep. And you, you know, Mike Tyson once said, Every, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And then it's like, spiritually speaking, everyone wants to, everyone want, wants to pray, uh, pray before bed until they fall asleep too, right? It's like, yeah, we have a plan to pray, and then we just fall asleep. Nevertheless, practice silence. But here's what we're going to see over the next couple verses is our prayer is not wasted. Just because it's not answered immediately, it doesn't mean that it's wasted. Verse 2, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. These seven trumpets are important to note, as trumpets have often been blown at the beginning of war. And what's happening here is the devil and people who serve him, and you either serve God or you serve the devil. So you say, well, I'm not serving the, the devil. I'm also not serving God. Then you're serving the devil. So these angels with their trumpets. I was getting ready to play a trumpet, and I don't think you play it quite like that. I don't know. Is this how you play it? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Either way. These seven angels with their trumpets. They're sounding war, and the war that's going to take place is Jesus unleashing his wrath on the earth and on the enemy to take it back. So this is pointing to God's providence on its way. God's providence to redeem all that was lost, every bit of it. So for this to happen, for the trumpets to be sounded. 
um, another angel offers incense. Verse 3. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on, on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. So as the seventh seal is peeled back, an angel stood at the altar with many incense to offer. What were the incense? The prayers of the believers. The prayers of you. The prayers of the believers during that time. Now what's interesting about these prayers is they were incense to God. They meant something to him. See, the psalmist recognized that prayers of saints had a similar purpose as incense burnt before God. Now we understand why women like candles so much. There's something that we are created to like incense. Incense changes the atmosphere of the room. And prayers change the heart of God. It's like a good aroma to him. Psalms 141.2. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Prayers are an aroma pleasing to God. Your prayers are pleasing to God. Amen? Your prayers are like a candle to your wife's nose to God. The picture of prayer as an aroma to God is also seen when Hezekiah reinstated the Passover. Even though they were unable to observe the Passover in strict accordance with God's instructions, God was pleased with their prayers because of the pure motivation of their hearts. We're not going to look at all that today because of time. But your prayers are incense to God. It pleases God when you pray. See, some of us say, if, if I only knew what God wanted me to, to do today, or if I only knew what would make God happy today. Here's one thing that makes God happy. What is it? Your prayers. A conversation with you. See, sometimes we make the Christian walk so complicated about the Greek or the Hebrew or changing the world that we never take one step to become closer to him. Well, here's a practical step that we can take that's really easy, that it's a promise that if we pray to God, he's pleased. Amen? So I can know that I pleased God today if I just talked to him. See, prayer isn't this there's reverence in prayer, right? There is. Don't hear me saying that there shouldn't be reverence. There's moments of reverence and praise, but there's also moments of just brutal honesty to God. And he loves them both. God, my day has been really bad. 
Just ask that you would lead me and you would help me, that you would guide me, that somehow I would honor you. And then there's other times where you just say, God, I, I come to you with the most humble position, recognizing that I am nothing and you are everything. And you, you deserve everything that I have. And I give you all the reverence. So we can be reverent to him. We can also be just brutally honest with him. And guess what it is? It's aroma to him. Amen? My encouragement, and actually what I believe is if we were more of a, um, if we were more people that prayed more than we complained, we'd see a different nation. But pray, or prayer pleases God. Ephesians 6, 18. About prayer, right? And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray. Pray in the spirit and on all occasions with all kinds of prayer requests. Be alert. And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray, pray, pray. Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who has seen what is done in secret will reward you. Colossians 4, 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He didn't say some of it. He did, here, you, know what, you know what we do as people sometimes? I've, I've done this enough to people. Is people will come share their problem with me, and then guess what I do? I minimalize it. Husbands seem to minimalize the problems a lot, don't we? Because here's what we're like. We want to get from point A to point B, and we just want to fix the issue. Can I get a witness? Any, any minimalizing husbands in here? All right. Wives. Husbands don't want to answer. How many of your husbands have minimalized something in, in your life? All of them. I think generally out of, out of good nature. So what happens is maybe sometimes we're... We're spilling our guts. Wives are spilling their guts, or we're spilling our guts to another believer. And then here's what believers do. We minimalize it. Just move on. Get with it. Get with the program. And you're like, you're not listening. Would you just hear me? Quit minimalizing my, my issue. Well, here's what Scripture tells us in 1 Peter. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. All of it. He cares about all of it. So what I have minimalized, what you have minimalized, what people have minimalized in your life, God cares about all of it. Amen? Isn't that good news? That in spite of how people fail us, God doesn't and God won't. He cares about all of it, every bit of it. See, sometimes I just don't want to tell you people how disappointed I was that I stubbed my toe. What kind of leader do I have that's complaining about stubbing his toe? If that's the worst thing to happen to him this week, well, you know what? Be more godly and care about everything that I'm going through. Amen? No? <laughs> Fine. Y'all ain't listening. I'm just going to go to him about it because he cares about it all. 
He cares about it all. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Our prayers and those prayers referenced here in Revelation go before God. And now he begins to move. Let us take every prayer that we have and bring it to him with confidence. God wants us to talk to him. He wants us to have a relationship with him. Prayers offered are like incense to his nose. So I say this, don't lose hope today. God is going to move on the behalf of your prayers, whether now or later. Because what these angels are bringing are your prayers to God. And that's what is unfolding here. God moves because of the prayers of his people. And his wrath is coming to earth. So God's people are praying, God, this, this doesn't make sense. This is not justice. Will you get justice? This is not fair. Will you fix this? And there's all these complaints that God's like, you are right. But the timing is not yet. So what does God do? He moves on their requests. And this is important for us to see. Because God is the one who brings vengeance, not us. God is the one who brings vengeance and not us. Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Sometimes we feel like we need to get revenge on our coworkers or fix one of our friends or make sure that our spouse understands. And sometimes making sure the way, sometimes making sure that someone understands is actually our way of revenge. So here, so here in the book of Revelation, God's revenge, or sorry, this is God's vengeance against those who are left on the earth, against those who are against him. Verse five. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets, trumpets prepared to sound them. And as each of these seven angels sound a horn, a judgment will take place. So there was silence in heaven. There's these angels now, and these angels are preparing to play these trumpets. God hears their prayers, and because God hears their prayers, now he's getting ready to move on them. And with each angel that plays a trumpet, there is now God's wrath that comes. Make sense? Okay. So the first trumpet that is sounded Judgment against, is judgment against the earth's vegetation. So verse 7, the first angel sounded his trumpet, 
And there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth uh, was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. And a third of the green grass was burned up. Now, here's what we have to realize. This is a prophetic event that will take place. This, what I just read, is truth. And this will happen. It's kind of scary, isn't it? As much as we receive that Jesus died on the cross for us and he rose three days later is true. This too is also true about this place that we're standing. <laughs> all this grass out here that Lloyd mowed for years, all this grass that's being mowed by Bob right now, all the grass that you men go home and mow and love is going to be destroyed. All that grass is going to, what are you going to do with your life? If you're over 28, what are you going to do with your life now? Your grass is destroyed. And you men are going to be like, this is hell on earth. God, take me. Because I think that sometimes you men or us men, we think, we think that we can go through anything if we just get to go out with our Mountain Dew in the cup holder to mow the grass or the coffee, whatever it is. This is going to happen. All this grass, literally this grass out here one day, this grass. This isn't just a movie. This grass out here will be destroyed by God one day. That's weird. That's crazy. It's scary. So here we have hail mixed with fire, mixed with blood. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. A hundred percent of the grass burned up. What a crazy scene. Now, remember, John wouldn't have known what a plane looked like or what skyscrapers looked like. So he tries to explain what he's seeing to the best of his abilities. He's trying to take these pictures that God is giving him within his culture to be able to share what it might look like prophetically in the future. So was hail hail or was hail bombs? Was hail hail or was hail rocks? Was it a volcanic eruption? And because the volcanic eruption, which was talked about right before this, right, was the volcanic eruption so big because of the earthquakes that were so big that rocks, rocks are coming out of this volcano and just flowing through the whole earth with fire. And then the blood is obviously those people, or what appears to be obvious, people who are dying. And you say, why would a good God do this? Well, God's not coming against his people. God's coming against people who do not serve him. He's coming against the spirit of the Antichrist, those who are serving the devil. But whether through war or meteors or natural disasters, God will bring judgment, and this judgment will bring blood, likely death, 
and a third of the earth's vegetation will be destroyed. This is all happening because we are rebellious and we're not living under his son's blood. Yeah, so imagine now what the earth's atmosphere is going to look like. We ain't got no grass. A third of the trees are gone. A third of the vegetation is gone. What's the atmosphere going to be like? I mean, like, um, this will cause starvation in most places. Just this first trumpet. Starvation in most places. Because... You can't feed your cows because they ain't got no grass to eat. And a third of the grain is gone, so you can't feed your chickens. The bugs have nothing to eat. The food chain becomes depleted. And the air and the atmosphere will be harder to breathe. Imagine how scary this will be. This is scary. So the next trumpet will bring judgment against the earth's oceans. Verse 8, the second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were, de were destroyed. That's crazy. Something like a huge mountain, all ablaze. I've heard, you know, an asteroid the size of a football field would almost devastate the whole earth. Let alone something the size of a mountain. Now, we're not talking Appalachian Mountains. We're talking like Mount Everest. Size mountain, something like a mountain will be thrown from heaven to hit earth. Isn't that scary? That's horribly scary. And what will happen? Again, is it a mountain? Is it an asteroid? Or is this a bomb or a huge meter strike? I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. What matters is what comes after the hit, right? A third of the sea will be turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea will die. A third of the ships will be destroyed. Now, on average, right now, today, there are over 50,000 football-sized ships carrying cargo on the sea. Now, of these ships, they typically seem to stack like 12 to 25 Cargo containers high? There's 50,000 of those. 50,000 of those on average a day in the sea, transporting goods and services. So guess what? A third of those will be destroyed. A third of them will be gone. Talk about going hungry, right? And then, look, guys aren't going to be able to mow their grass Women aren't going to be able to shop, shop, shop at Target or Old Navy because all their cargoes was destroyed in the ocean. What are we going to do with life? A third of them will be gone. A third of the living creatures in the sea will be gone. 
Now, what's interesting is most of us understand that the trees and the grass are what give us oxygen here on earth, right? That's what we typically think of. But 50% or above of the oxygen actually comes from plankton in the sea. So the trees are gone, the grass is gone. Now where 50% of our oxygen, plankton, a lot of it is now gone or destroyed. Imagine how hard it's going to be to breathe here. Imagine the stench of a third of the sea and a third of the grass being gone and a third of the trees. A third of it will be destroyed already in addition to a third of the earth's vegetation gone. The atmosphere will be hazy and smoke-filled. Talk about scary. So God will first bring judgment against the earth's vegetation, then the oceans, then the fresh water. Verse 10, the third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on the third, sorry, yeah, fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the water, waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. This certainly would indicate or suggest that this is an asteroid based upon our understanding today. But NASA has many predictions about huge asteroids coming our way. There's actually one that they have off in the near future, and they've actually named it Wormwood. And Wormwood is a huge asteroid that they believe has a greater than not chance to hit the Earth. This scene would be scary. But the fish, the plankton, the trees, the grass, the vegetation, a third of it all destroyed. Now a third of the fresh water destroyed. This scene is getting scary. Horribly scary. Something that I don't want to be here for. After the judgment of the fresh water, the judgment of the earth's atmosphere, verse 12, the fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark, a third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. Some people have suggested something is going to strike the sun. Now what we know about the sun is many scientists have said nothing can ever even get close to the sun because before it gets to the sun, what's it going to do? It's going to burn up. But something so big and powerful, some people, some commentators have suggested it's going to strike the sun. So, um, yeah, interesting. But there, <laughs> there are some scientists that said, um, this was a quote, American scientists have said 
that the sun is too hot to land on. So we decided we would land on it at nighttime. (laughs) Quote, unquote. (laughs) So it sounds like this big thing is going to hit the sun at nighttime, right? Whether something's going to hit the sun, here's what we do know, is days will be shortened by a third. What this scripture is really letting us understand is that whatever's happening with the atmosphere, whatever's happening with the sun, that days will be shortened by a third. So many of us don't like daylight savings times, whatever. A third of the day is going to be different. Now, I know when Mount St. Helen erupted, people had to use... Headlights during the afternoon because it was so dark because of all the dust and debris. When these end time events are taking place, a third of the days will be shortened. But through all of this, God has given us a chance and gave us a chance. So what happens here is God gives another chance during these events. Verse 13, as I watched, I heard an angel that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants on earth because of the trumpet's blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. So in spite of all the stuff going on, God is saying, woe, 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 like, hey, More is coming. More is coming. Will you just repent? Will you turn to me? So these angels send a warning. And the warning is get right with God. Because what's what's coming next is scarier. See, the next seals. These seals are like natural disasters. The seals that are coming are demonic. Out of this world. Scary. Scary. So God's trying to say, hey, repent, turn from your sins. They're to face a piece of God's wrath that this world has never seen, and God is trying to speak to them. And I wonder, maybe in a salvation way for some of us, listening or wherever, even in here today, I don't know, no judgment. But I wonder, I wonder how many things that God is asking us to repent of today that we keep on ignoring. That he's come to us and he said, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is leading you in a bad direction. Will you just repent? Because it's easy for us to look at scripture and say, why would these people not repent while missing the fact that we have areas to repent of ourselves, isn't it? Most of us, if not all of us, the closer we get to God, should learn more. Actually, not most of us. All of us, the closer we get to God, should learn about our inadequacies. Which means the closer we get to God, we should always be understanding our need to repent. Amen? So God, the closer we get to you, may we not harden our hearts, but may we repent. So all of us today have areas that God is asking us to turn from. Maybe he's saying... You have too much time on TV, or you're sleeping too much, or you're 
you're trying to earn your way to me. Maybe whatever it is, lust, lies, fibbing, finances, trust, whatever it is, there's areas that God is asking you to surrender and to give up, and you're like, I'm not ready yet. I'm holding on to it. So we can't point the finger at these people in Revelation chapter 7 because we are these people too. Amen? God, help us repent. So God gives them that warning, and I believe God is even giving us a warning as I share that this morning, me included. But all of this sounds extremely scary, and a generation of people are going to face extremely hard times. They're going to face a piece of God's wrath that this world has never seen. And as crazy as this sounds, and yeah, and as crazy as all of this sounds, what's even crazier is this. And this is how we'll end today. It sounds crazy to think that the sun is going to be darkened. It sounds crazy that a third of the earth's vegetation and all of the grass is going to be gone. It sounds crazy that a third of the water, fresh water, and the ocean will be destroyed and the earth's atmosphere and earthquakes and famines and wars. It sounds crazy that asteroids will be coming here. It's scary, is it not? How many of you guys want to face that? None of us. That's why? Because it's scary. God's wrath is scary. But what do we know about Jesus? Is Jesus received the fullness of God's wrath on the cross. The fullness. So as scary as this seems, nukes or bombs or next week demonic figures, that are coming to destroy people, mountain-sized comets hitting the earth, not being able to breathe, no food, no mowing grass. As scary as that seems, with God's wrath coming, Jesus received the fullness of God's wrath on the cross. The fullness. All of it. So what I'm saying is it was far scarier for Jesus to face the cross than what we're seeing right here. The fullness of all of God's wrath was received on the cross. Why? Because Jesus wanted to have a relationship with you. As scary as this is, as scary as this wrath is, Jesus received the fullness Jesus received the fullness, meaning far worse than what we're reading about. And on the cross, Jesus received the fullness of God's wrath so that you and I didn't have to. You and I were supposed to receive that wrath. You and I were supposed to be the person that was separated from him for eternity because we were imperfect and we sinned against him. And all of that wrath of meteors, of weird demonic things, of separation from him, you were supposed to receive and I was supposed to receive. And the fear that we're worried about future generations having to face what's coming is the fear that you and I were supposed to face. That's scary. But the good news is, is this, 
is on the cross, Jesus received it so that you and I didn't have to, so that we can have a relationship with him today. Amen? So today, may we be thankful that Jesus was willing to receive that wrath so that we could have a relationship with him. Let's pray. Father, I pray today, and just with eyes closed and heads bowed, Father, I just pray today that um, you would help us return to you. May we not forget that you received the fullness of the wrath of God so that we could have a relationship with you. I just even pray today that if there's anyone, anyone in here just feels like they need to repent, that they need to turn back to Christ, that they would just raise their hand in acknowledgement of that today. If you just feel like, yeah, God, there's some things that I need to repent of, I need to give to you, just raise your hand. A lot of hands raised, praise God. All right, you guys can put those down. Father, you knew that we were going to raise those hands before we even did it. So I pray today, Father, that you would help us understand your word. You would help us understand the scriptures. That you would um, thank you that you've forgiven us of our sins. May we repent of them and turn to you. Thank you. Father, thank you that even in the simplest of what I deem a simple sin of a little fib or fabrication, that that required full wrath, but your son received it. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.